Well, hey, good morning and welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. And if this is your first time with us, we just want to let you know you are part of something bigger than just what's going on here at North Garnett. We have campuses all throughout our community. So right now we have people joining us from our Vertigris campus as well as our Stone Canyon campus. And we just want to welcome them to what's going on here this morning. So if you would put your hands together, welcome them to our conversation today. Some of you guys may not know this about me, but when I was a student in Bible college, attending Johnson Bible College, I had a weekend preaching ministry, part-time ministry, this little small Christian church, kind of in the middle of nowhere, like 25 people went there, but I preached there for the four years I was in Bible college. When it comes to preaching, I cut my teeth there. I mean, it was great. I really loved those people. They seemed to love me, and they were full of grace and they should have been because I was a horrible preacher. I mean, I, I have gone back and looked at some of those sermons that I preached the notes. It was just bad. I have no idea why they kept me around that long. Some of you guys are probably thinking the same thing this morning as you listen to me week after week, but I was just a terrible preacher, but they loved on me and encouraged me, said things like, oh, you're going to be the next Billy Graham and all that sort of stuff. And I really appreciated those comments, whether they were deserved or not. Uh, but one thing that I, I noticed was well, I didn't have a lot of time to practice my sermons because I was engaged and, uh, you know, I want to spend time with my girlfriend, of course, and then also as a full-time student, and then I was preaching on the weekend, so I didn't have a lot of time during the week to practice my sermons, and so I thought, and on that three-hour drive I make every week in this church, it's a perfect time to practice, so I started practicing in my car. I would drive down the highway, and I would go through my message a couple times, actually. And back then, I had a different style than what I have right now. I feel like I'm much more of a conversational preacher, and that's what I want to be. But back then, I would kind of shout and yell a little bit, you know, didn't know any better, kind of wave my arms in the air, get all crazy. And so that's what I would do going down the highway. I would get really passionate about my sermons. And one day, I'm driving down the highway, and I look down after I finished my sermon, and I'm out of gas. My gas light came on, so I pulled off of this gas station to get some gas, and as soon as I stop my car, this big old diesel truck pulls up right beside me, and this guy gets out, and he's a big old dude, I mean a huge dude, and he, he is wearing boots, and I can hear his boots click as he gets out, you know, of his truck, he spits on the ground, and he looks at me, and he goes, boy, you got a problem with me? And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. What are you talking about? He's like, oh, you know who I am. I'm the guy you passed on the interstate. You were letting me have it. And I was just like, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you were waving your hands in the air. You were screaming. You were letting me have it as you passed by me. And I'm here to settle things. So I looked right at the guy and I go, you want some of this? No, I didn't really. I'm kidding. I didn't. That's... I was just like, no, 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 I, I, I was preaching. I wasn't yelling at you, I was preaching. I don't care if you're preaching or not at me. And he's like, he's all mad. I was like, no, you don't get it. I'm a student in Bible college. I'm studying to be a minister. I have a weekend preaching ministry, and I'm, I'm on my way there now. And so I just, that's what I was doing. I was just practicing my sermon. I didn't mean to offend you in any way. And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, you're a preacher? And I love it when people say that to me, like they're shocked. You know, you're a preacher? And he walks up to me, and he put his hand on my shoulder. I know what was going to happen. He put, my hand, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he had a grip and a half. And he said, well, then preach on, brother, preach on. And he got in his truck, and he drove off, and that was it. Now, that is not the way that I thought that was going to end, but I'm glad that it ended that way. You know, one thing that I've learned in life is that people don't always respond. They don't always react the way we might expect. I came across a video not too long ago, a friend of mine showed it to me, of this little boy who found out that his new sibling was going to be a girl, and he wasn't real excited about it. Take a look at this video clip. 
buddy. Look on mommy's tummy. It's a new baby. It's a baby girl. Oh, yeah. man. And you know what her name is? <laughs> we named her I love that. Oh, man. I lo that's great. It doesn't matter how old someone may be. People don't always respond, don't always react the way we might expect. And that's especially true for a guy in the Bible. A guy who had an encounter with Jesus in Luke chapter 19. The way he responded to Jesus, probably no one anticipated. No one expected this response. This guy's name is Zacchaeus. And we're going to learn about his story this morning. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me Luke chapter 19. And that's where we're going to study together. And Luke 19 starts off in verse 1. And this is the beginning of Zacchaeus' story. Jesus entered Jericho. Now, last week we talked about Jesus being in Jericho, but this is a different time he's in Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, before we go any further, Luke wants us to know right off the bat what Zacchaeus did for a living. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and he's not just any tax collector. He's a chief tax collector living in the city of Jericho. Now that's a big deal, because in the first century world, especially among the Jewish people, tax collectors were hated. They were despised. Now I doubt if any of us like paying taxes. If I were to take a poll real fast, say, raise your hand if you enjoy paying taxes. If you raise your hand, probably everybody around you is going to be like, he's a weirdo, you know, she's strange. None of us like paying taxes. I get that. But the hatred that the Jewish people in the first century world had for tax collectors went much deeper than that. You see, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they were a conquered people. The Romans had conquered them. And even though the Jews were living on their ancestors' land, they didn't own it. They were not a sovereign nation anymore. Rome ruled over them. And Rome didn't rule with kindness. Rome ruled by force. And how they kept the peace, how they kept everybody in line, was Rome would put soldiers on every street. You would have soldiers on every single street corner who were armed, armed with swords. And Rome told their soldiers, don't be afraid to use those swords. If anybody's a threat to Roman peace, if anybody starts to get out of line, you use those swords. You keep everybody in line. People were terrified of these soldiers. So if you were a Jew growing up in the first century world, you grew up under the oppression of a government that you didn't like. There were soldiers on every street corner forcing you to obey laws you didn't agree with. And you had to live under this government system that did not respect your God and did not respect your people. There was huge resentment among the Jewish people when it came to the Roman government, especially those Roman soldiers. But here's the thing. In order for Rome to maintain peace and have these soldiers everywhere... He had to pay for it somehow. And so to add insult to injury, the way that Rome afforded to have these soldiers, they taxed the local people. So not only are you living under this oppression, you also have to pay for it yourself. And then Rome did something else. They got local people to collect the taxes. Because here's the thing, everybody lived off the grid in this day. There wasn't an accurate record of where everyone lived. So who would know all the family lines? And who would know where everybody lived in an area? Well, somebody who had lived there their entire life. So they would find somebody who would be a sellout. Who would basically pledge a loyal, their loyalty to Rome. 
and would go out and collect taxes. And what Rome said was, hey, this is what we want from this region when it comes to taxes. You just collect that, give us our share, give us our cut, and anything above and beyond that that you collect, that's your pay. You can collect whatever you want to. If anybody argues with you, you've got those soldiers on your side. They've got your back. They'll make sure you get what you want. There were tax collectors who charged double and triple than what Rome wanted. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of cheating going on. Tax collectors were extremely wealthy, but they cheated people in order to get their wealth. And one of those tax collectors, we meet him in Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Now here's the thing, Zacchaeus, it's a Hebrew name. It's a Hebrew name that means pure one, but to his fellow Jews, and I say fellow Jew, remember, it's a Hebrew name, he's a Jew. To his fellow Jews, he wasn't pure at all. He was not only supporting the enemy, backing the enemy. The Bible says he was extremely wealthy. And we can infer as we read the rest of this passage, he got his money by cheating his own people. He's a cheater. He's a traitor. If you were a first century Jew, you not only disliked Zacchaeus, you hated Zacchaeus. You wanted nothing to do with him. He's a sellout. He's a sleazeball. No Jewish mother wanted her little boy to grow to be a tax collector. Being a tax collector was considered among the Jewish people to be the lowest of the absolute low. But there was a reason why guys got into the tax collecting business. It was very profitable. In his book, Jesus Prom, John Weiss says that Zacchaeus was the Bernie Madoff of his day. I mean, he milked thousands of people of their hard-earned money so he could wine and dine with the elite of society. There was a, not just money that came along being a tax collector, there was influence and power. Nobody wanted for a tax collector to be mad at them. Everybody wanted to be on a tax collector's good side. And you would have a lot of money. Probably Zacchaeus had the biggest house in the city of Jericho. He threw the biggest parties and the who's who of Jericho would come and wine and dine with Zacchaeus. People envied the life that Zacchaeus had because he had a bunch of money. He had power. He had influence. He had Roman soldiers at his command. People envied that life. It was a good life in the eyes of some. But even though Zacchaeus had all this money, power, prestige, and authority, it still appears that something's missing in Zacchaeus' life. Pick up with me, if you would, verse 3 of chapter 19. Remember, Jesus is passing through Jericho. And says he, talking about Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. So he's heard about him. He wants to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. See, even though Zacchaeus might be called the Bernie Madoff of his day, in some sense, he was also the Danny DeVito of his day because he's too short to see above a crowd of people. And since the average height of a male in the first century world, first century Palestine, was about five foot two, we can assume Zacchaeus was probably four foot something. So I want you to picture the wealthiest man, who's also the shortest guy, the wealthiest man in Jericho, running ahead of this crowd of people, climbing a tree in a three-piece suit just so he can see Jesus. Now, two quick historical notes. 
Proper men in the first century world did not run. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the prodigal son. Proper men did not run in public. And one main reason for that is because of the garments you wore, you would expose yourself. Children would run to play and slaves would run in order to carry out errands. Proper men did not run in public. But also... Proper men, respectable men, dignified men did not climb in public either. Again, you might expose yourself. That was embarrassing. Slaves, they would climb. Children would climb in order to play. Not a respectable man. But yet we see in this passage Zacchaeus running and climbing. Why? Because apparently he really wanted to see Jesus. But you know, I'm not sure if Zacchaeus wanted Jesus to see him. Because here's the thing, if Zacchaeus wanted an audience with somebody, all he had to do was ask for it. All he had to do was summon someone, and normally people came when a tax collector called from them. They didn't want to make a tax collector mad. And if the person refused to come, guess what? All Zacchaeus had to do was call out the Roman soldier and say, go get that guy. And the soldiers would bring the person to him. If he wanted an audience with somebody, he could have it. And even if he didn't want to actually have an audience or a meeting with Jesus, all he had to do was tell the crowd to move. People would get out of a tax collector's way. Again, they didn't want to tick him off. All they had to do was say, move. They would have parted the Red Sea for him so he could see Jesus. But he doesn't do either of those two things. No, he climbs a tree to see Jesus. It's as if Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, but he's not sure if he wants Jesus to see him. And I think that's true for a lot of people in this life. We all know people who want to be close to Jesus, but for whatever reason, not too close. They want Jesus nearby in case they need something from him, but they don't want him too close because they're afraid of what might happen if they get too close to Jesus. So you can imagine Zacchaeus' shock when Jesus does what he does next in verse 5. The passage says, when Jesus reached the spot, the spot where Zacchaeus was in the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him, welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, two quick observations I want to make before we go any further. The first one is this. Notice how Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. As far as we know, Zacchaeus and Jesus have never met before. They've never had an encounter before. And yet Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. And there's a reason for that. Because names matter. Names matter because people matter. Calling someone by name means you're noticing them. They matter to you. It's important to use people's names. And I have to admit something right now. I am struggling because I haven't been here that long and there's a whole lot of you and there's one of me and all of you guys know my name and I don't know yours yet and I'm struggling and it never fails. Any given Sunday, somebody will walk up to me in the lobby or in the hub and they'll say, hey Chad, what's my name? And I'm thinking, I have no idea. I I really, I would love to know your name and I would say it if I knew it, but I, I just, I don't. And I hate that. That's really bothering me. But again, there's like a thousand of you and one of me, so it's gonna take me a 
little while. But I hate not knowing somebody's name because I want that person to know that they do matter to me. A few weeks ago, this lady walked up to me. I was at the hub, and she goes, Hey, Chad, what's my name? And I said her name right off. I mean, I just I said it out loud, and she was all excited. I mean, she almost acted like she was honored. Oh, you know my name? That's great. You're doing a good job. And I, she was just thrilled. And as she walked off, I didn't have the heart to tell her that she had been a greeter that morning, and she still had her name badge on. And so I just read her name badge. I never let no one different until now. If she's out there now, now she knows. <laughs> but you know, names matter because people matter. And when Zacchaeus hears his name being said by Jesus, he knew he mattered to Jesus. Jesus didn't have to do that. Zacchaeus may not have wanted Jesus to see him, but Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And he doesn't just acknowledge Zacchaeus. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house today. We're going to party together. We're going to have a meal together. I'm going to hang out with you today. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone I don't know real well just invites himself over to my house, that can be a little weird. It can be a little awkward, especially when you have someone who just shows up unannounced. It can be a little strange. There's this guy at the church I used to preach at, and I didn't know him that well. He just started coming to our church, and somebody gave him my number. I would like to find out who that was, but somebody gave him my number, and he texted me one Saturday afternoon. He said, hey, Chad, are you at home? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm here with my family. And he goes, well, good, because I'm in your driveway. And I was like, call the police. You know, what's, what's going on here? But he ended up being a nice guy. I got to know him socially awkward no tact at all but he was a nice guy and he was fine but you know when somebody just shows up at your house unannounced or maybe invites himself over it can be a little strange it can be a little awkward but that's not Jesus' intention here in fact when Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house it would have been a huge compliment because in this day and age to share a meal with somebody it was a sign of companionship it was a sign of approval sign of friendship. You didn't eat a meal with an enemy, and you didn't eat a meal with someone you didn't like. So by Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house today, and we're going to eat together. What Jesus is letting everyone around know, everyone who's watching this play out, everyone in this town who hates Zacchaeus and despises Zacchaeus, Jesus is letting everyone know, this man who you can't stand, he's a friend of mine. You see, Jesus is showing love to Zacchaeus long before Zacchaeus is ready to return love to Jesus. He's showing love to Jesus long before Zacchaeus ever returns that love. And isn't that what we're called to do as followers of Jesus? Doesn't Jesus say something like, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you? Doesn't he say something like that? See, we're not supposed to just love those who love us. We're supposed to love those who don't love us, love those who refuse to love us, love those who aren't ready to love us. It's really easy to love those who are like you and love those who return love to you and love those who you're comfortable around. But what about loving those who are hard to love? That's what Jesus did. And he changed the world by doing it. Guys, he loved each one of us before we ever loved him. And that's what he asks us to do to our community. There are people out in the 918 right now who are not ready to love Jesus and will not show us love, but they need love. And that's what we're here for. And I love Zacchaeus' response in this text when Jesus shows him this love. Verse 6, it says, So he came down at once. Notice those two words, at once, immediately. 
and welcomed Jesus gladly. See, notice how Zacchaeus jumps at the chance to have Jesus over at his house. Now, it wasn't like Zacchaeus wasn't used to having parties at his house or used to having people over. Like I said, he probably had the biggest house in Jericho. He probably threw the biggest parties. The who's who of Jericho had all been over to Zacchaeus' house at one time or another. He was used to having big-name people at his house. Jesus actually is very different from the typical uh, person who was invited over to Jesus' house. I mean, to Zacchaeus' house. I mean, Jesus is this poor itinerant teacher, rabbi. That's not typically who came over to Zacchaeus' house. So why is Zacchaeus so excited? Why does he jump at the opportunity to have Jesus at his house? Well, because he knows that maybe Jesus can offer him something that all his wealth and power and authority, influence, can't offer him. See, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he didn't see a thief. He didn't see a traitor. He didn't see a crook. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he saw Zacchaeus. He saw a man hurting. He saw a man in need. He saw a man who was an expert in image management, but who on the inside was completely empty. Jesus saw a man who had everything, but who really had nothing. And isn't that true of so many people? So many people we encounter every single day. See, whether we realize it or not, we were all hardwired to worship. We are all hardwired to do life with God. And if we don't pursue the God who created us, we will by default pursue some cheap substitute in His place. And oftentimes what we end up doing is filling our lives with cheap substitute after cheap substitute that continue to just leave us feeling empty and alone in the end. And I wonder, is there some cheap substitute for God in your life that's taking the place that only God deserves? See, God will not share the throne of your heart with anyone or anything else. I was talking with Mike Rayburn, our executive administrator here at First Church, and I love Mike, great guy, you guys know him, and he was telling me about this, uh, this devotion he heard the other day, and, he, and it was about garages, you know, garages you have at home, and he said, what was a garage designed for? A garage was designed to house cars, right, vehicles, but oftentimes people use garages for other things, storage or whatever, and he said, you know, there's only so much room in a garage, and so if you're filling your garage with boxes or totes or whatever, then there's no room left for what it was designed for, there's no room left for your car, and I get that, because you guys know what my garage is full of right now? These right here, that's exactly what my garage is full of. We just moved here, and it's full of these boxes. Now, this one's empty, but they're full in my garage. And so I bought that house, and I wanted that garage so that we could put our cars in there. And yet, we're not ready for that to happen yet, because guess what we have to do? We've got to get rid of these before we have space for our vehicles, or space for our cars. And that's true about our spiritual lives as well. When we are putting cheap substitutes for God on the throne of our hearts, we don't leave room for Him. And so God isn't going to share the throne of our heart with anyone or anything. And I wonder right now, is there a cheap substitute in your life that's taking the place of God? Maybe it's your success. I mean, are you somebody who pursues the praises of others and pursues your own achievements at any cost? 
and you've turned that into your God, that's what matters the most to you, and that's taking up the throne of your heart? Is it maybe your social status? Are you all about fitting in with a certain crowd or fitting in with a certain person, and so you're willing to sacrifice your own convictions and your own beliefs in order to fit in, in order to be popular or whatever? Has that become the God of your life? What about your stuff? Have you fallen into the trap that the rest of our culture has fallen into, the trap of materialism? And you think, oh, if only I can just get that, or if only I can buy this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied. But then you get that next thing, and guess what? You still want more? There's, you still feel like there's something missing? Maybe it's sex. I don't know if I've been here long enough to talk about this subject, but I'm going to, because guys, I speak truth. Our culture is inundated with sex. And the thing is, sex is a good thing. I'll tell you. God created it. It's a gift from Him. And it's a good thing if it's done within the boundaries He created. But you take it outside of those boundaries, it will leave you feeling empty, dirty, and ashamed. And if you think that by jumping from one bend to another, you're going to find intimacy or some sense of contentment or satisfaction, oh, you might briefly... They will leave you feeling empty in the end. If you think by going to some website or having some inappropriate text conversation that you're going to find what you're looking for, you'll just end up feeling empty in the end. Have you made sex the God of your life? What about, what about safety, security? You might say the comforts of this life. Has that become your God? To where you would rather live a comfortable life than a life of faith? What is it for you? What is it that's taking up space in your heart that's pushing God out that you need to get rid of so God can sit on the throne of your heart, sit on the throne of your life? What is it? Because there's only so much room. And God will not share the throne of your heart with anyone or anything else. And if we don't pursue the God who created us, we will by default pursue some cheap substitute in His place. And like I said, those substitutes, they'll satisfy for a while but they'll leave us feeling empty. And I think that's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has it all in the eyes of some, but there's still something missing, and that's why he pursues Jesus, because he thinks maybe this Jesus might have what he's looking for. He's chased after stuff, he's chased after pleasure, he's chased after power and influence, and every time he gets what he thinks is going to make him happy, he's just left asking the question, what's next? My son Alex, he loves the Disney Pixar movie Cars. And right now it's Cars 3 because it just came out on DVD. And he collects the little toys, you know, that go along with the movie, the little die-cast metal cars. And he's got, you know, two dozen of them or so. He just loves them. And so he got some for Christmas and he gets them for different occasions. And sometimes he saves up his money, buys them. They're just a couple dollars a piece. But he loves them. And any time that he gets one, it's the same response every single time. He got one just a little while ago for doing something, uh, doing something well, and so we gave him a car. And the same response every single time. He'll get it, he'll get all excited. Thank you, Mom and Daddy. He rips open the package, and then he looks at it and he goes, I wonder which one I'm going to get next. I mean, immediately. And he just got one, you know, but he wants to collect them all. And Disney, they know what they're doing. They give you a little sheet with all the different ones they make, and he checks them off, you know, to make sure he's going to get every one. But he gets one, and I'm just like, be happy happy with the one you just got. Oh no, I wonder which one I'm going to get next. But how often is that us? We think if we just could get that job, or if we just could date that girl, 
If I could just get married, if I could just have that house or drive that car or have this much money in my bank account, then I'll be happy. But we're just left asking the question, when we get those things, what's next? Guys, you can be surrounded by people and still be very much alone. You can even be married and feel very much alone. You can have all the stuff in the world and still feel empty on the inside. You can be invited to the biggest parties and still feel very much insignificant. Jesus is offering Zacchaeus in this moment what he's missing. He's letting Zacchaeus know that he is loved by God. He's letting Zacchaeus know he was created for more than what he's been living for. He's letting Zacchaeus know that God wants him to live a better story. Jesus wants to exchange Zacchaeus' story of emptiness and searching for a story of meaning and purpose. But you know, not everyone observing what was going on that day was happy about what was happening. Read on with me if you would, verse 7. And it says, all the people, and I guess these are the people that are just watching, maybe other people invited to the parties Zacchaeus threw for Jesus. I don't know, but it's people of town. They're just watching, I guess. And all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Dun, dun, dun. The New Living Translation says, a notorious sinner. I like that translation. See, the people, they're upset. Because Jesus is hanging out with a guy he shouldn't be hanging out with. And the text says he began to mutter. That word in Greek means they were complaining and grumbling. See, anytime Jesus did anything, there was always somebody complaining and grumbling. So when people start to grumble and complain when I'm doing Jesus' work, I just think, hey, I'm just like Jesus. You know, I'm used to that. There's always somebody who wants to grumble. Always somebody who wants to complain. And the reason why these people are complaining about what Jesus is doing is because they have time-stamped Zacchaeus. They've already written Zacchaeus off. They're saying, who Zacchaeus has been is who he will always be. And so their tone is, we should have nothing to do with him because they've given up on him. They've time-stamped him. But see, we as followers of Jesus, we never give up on anyone. We never time-stamp anyone. We never say, oh, who that person is is who they will always be because Jesus never did that. No, we believe that Jesus doesn't just forgive people. Jesus transforms people. That's exactly what happens in this passage. I love how it ends. Let's finish it out, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up, as everybody is complaining about what's going on, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now picture this. Jesus and Zacchaeus, they're hanging out at Zacchaeus' house, probably sitting on his couch, watching a basketball game, watching the Jerusalem donkeys take on the Jericho camels. I don't know. It's an epic battle, you know, and they're just hanging out. They're chilling. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as everybody's in the background just kind of gossiping about what's taking place, and they're upset that Jesus is hanging out with this guy named Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus just stands up. Probably waited to halftime, but still. He stands up, and he says, Listen, I've been thinking. I don't like how I've been living. This isn't right. And today, this changes. I'm going to give half of my money, half of my wealth right now to the poor. 
And if there's anybody that I've cheated out of anything, I'm going to pay them back four times that amount. And I bet those who are in the background gossiping and grumbling about what was happening, I bet you they choked on their chips and salsa. I mean, I bet they were just absolutely shocked at what they were witnessing. No one expected that reaction. No one expected Zacchaeus to respond in that way. Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to do this. We have no indication Jesus told him to do this. We don't see there's any pressure from the crowd to do this. So why did Zacchaeus do it? Well, here's the thing. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. We start to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, the more we become like him. And guys, if you're struggling with something today, if there's some sin or temptation in your life that you feel like you can't overcome, guys, if you're struggling today because there is some cheap imitation for God in your heart right now, and it's pushing God out, and you know it's there, but you don't know what to do about it, if you're struggling today, here's your answer. Get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you start to become like Jesus, the more Jesus changes you i had a conversation not too long ago with a friend of mine and he confessed to me that he was struggling with a certain sin took him a long time to get it out in fact i almost had to pull it out of him because i knew he wanted to talk about something he's a grown man and he was crying as he was telling me about this and he was saying chad i just don't think i have the power to change and i made him look at me because he had his head down i made him look at me in the eye i said listen you're absolutely right. Right now, at this point in your life, you may not have the power to change. I don't know what he expected me to say, but I don't think he expected me to say that. He said, you may not have the power to change, but you and I both know the one who does have the power to change you. And what you need to do right now is you need to run to him. You need to open up your life to him because he's not going to come in and change you without your permission. You've got to open yourself up to him. And you open yourself up to him, you let him in your life, he will come in and transform your life. And I told him, I said, what that means is you've got to get back in church. He kind of drifted away from church. I said, I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher. I'm saying that because I know the importance of it for my own life. Guys, I'm not here because I'm paid to be here. I appreciate being paid to be here, but I'm not here because I'm paid to be here. I'm here because I can't survive this world without the church. Something special happens in this place when God's people come together. Something unique takes place when God's people come together for worship and we commune with His Son. Jesus is present when the church comes together in a, in a unique way, in a way that He's not present any other time on the face of the planet. Do not take this moment we have together for granted. We need this. Because we experience God in a powerful way, in a way like we don't outside of the church. I also told him he needed to study God's Word again. And I know some people think, oh, study the Bible, that sounds boring, whatever. Yeah, if you treat the Bible like just a bunch of facts and dates and commands, yeah, it might sound boring. I don't study God's Word to get head knowledge, even though it does give me a lot of that. <laughs> I study God's Word because I know it contains the very life breath of God. And when I study His Word, I encounter His presence in a meaningful way. I told this guy he needed to surround himself with Christian brothers and sisters who are going to hold him accountable and love on him and be there for him and support him and encourage him. He needed to get into a small group. He needed to have a few key people in his life that are going to be praying for him and who would actually hold him accountable. He didn't like that hold accountable part, but I told him it's what he needed. 
I said, you pursue God. You chase after Him. You get close to Him. He'll change you. You'll become like Him. I love, I love what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. In verse 9, he says, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. In other words, Jesus saying, I came for the Zacchaeuses of the world. I came for the people who are lost. I came for those that everyone else despises, everyone else looks down upon. I came for those who are feeling empty. I came for those who are searching for something. I came for the Zacchaeuses of this world. Because even the Zacchaeuses of this world have a place in God's family when they open themselves up to me. And I believe God wants all of us in the room today or all of us at our campuses watching to know that he wants the same for you. No matter what labels have been placed on you, no matter what people have said about you, no matter if someone's time-stamped you or not, no matter what you've allowed to push him out of your life, God isn't finished with you. Jesus came to give you a fresh start. And he came to give the Zacchaeuses that you encounter on a daily basis a fresh start. We all know people right now who are searching for something more and we've all been guilty of passing those people by. Guys, we're here to let them know they were created for something more. Jesus can change your life today. He can start today. And he can change the lives of the Zacchaeuses that you know. Starting this week, you just have to introduce Jesus to them. Because Jesus never gives up on anyone. Jesus never time stamps anyone. No matter who we become, what we've done, where we've been, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like Him, the more He changes us, and then the more He uses us to change the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for coming for the Zacchaeuses of this world because I am a Zacchaeus. Now, I never collected taxes. I don't cheat people on a regular basis. But there have been times in my life where it's been very empty. And Father, I've been searching for the next thing to bring me happiness or satisfaction. And I guarantee every one of us in this room today have done the same thing. So we thank you for coming for the Zacchaeus of, of this world. And Father, we just pray that we will pursue you like we never had before, get as close to you as we possibly can. Because when we get close to your son, we become like him. And we pray that as we become like him, we can show him to those around us so that they can become like him as well. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for this church. May we go out and make Jesus famous. It's in his name I pray. Amen.